Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. Hey, everybody, and welcome back, I hope, to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Um, Happy Tuesday. Um, It is kind of late winter in Maine, which if you live up in this neck of the woods, this is what we call the long depression. Um, You know, cold, barely any uh, sun, and you just start thinking about warmer, warmer climates. So that's a good intro for our guest today, who's in one of those nice warmer climates. I can see the sun shining through his window right now. It is an honor and a pleasure to have Demetrius Key with us today. Demetrius is uh, lives in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Demetrius, did I come close to getting that right? Yeah, yeah, that's hey. it. All right, all right. And um, he is campaign development director at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. He's been involved in cancer adv- advocacy for quite some time. He's um, formerly the Southern California chapter director for Zero, which is a uh, major prostate cancer organization. His father um, had prostate cancer um, and is a survivor. He was diagnosed at age 59. Um, so there's there's a lot of advocacy and personal experience uh, with Demetrius in the cancer space. Um, so Demetrius, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Um, so and where is uh, the town, the city you live in now, um, for those who don't know our California geography, like us Northeasterners, locate me in space. <laughs> so it's about um, probably about 50 to 60 miles east of Los Angeles. OK, got it. Like um, directly east. You just hop on the 10 and come straight over. I love that. All right. Awesome. And is that where you're from originally? No. So I was born and raised in North Carolina. Okay. Um, and then I went to college in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. After college, I joined the Air Force. Um, and most people say stationed. I say stuck. I was stuck in Nebraska <laughs> for eight years. <laughs> oh, and, to, hey, to all of our corn huskers out there, <laughs> he, he says that lovingly. Yeah, so I mean, it was cool once I got out there. But like when I got my orders, I had no clue where Nebraska was. Yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, so I was in Nebraska from uh, 98 to 06, and then I'm, I finally moved out to California in 06. So I've been out here a little over 17 years now. I think there's plenty of Nebraskans that I know who would say Stuck in Nebraska is actually a good title for any type of, uh, you know, that could be a book that you write. Um, so what were your, um, you know, what was your childhood like? Um, tell me a little bit about your your parents and what, what Demetrius was like as a kid. So, um, yeah, I'm the I'm the only boy. First of all, and the oldest. So uh, of how many? I, uh, so I grew up in the house with two sisters, and then I also had two sisters um, from my biological father. Uh, and so in the house, it was you know me and uh, two younger sisters. I matured pretty quickly, so my parents just kind of let me do my thing, um, and I got good grades. So they really just kind of let me do my thing. Oh, there you go. And what was <laughs> um, what was that mean? What what's your thing? So what what were you into? I, I'm guessing uh, sports based on yes. whatever a couple things I've read about you. <laughs> Absolutely, basketball. I was constantly playing basketball. 
you know, being from North Carolina, everybody loves basketball. Every other house has a court. Absolutely. So uh, I'm either playing basketball with my friends or video games. Like that, that was my two main things to do. Basketball, video games. They told me I could date. I think at age 16, but <laughs> that was delayed just because I'd rather spend time with my friends. So, uh, <laughs> awesome. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, so my dad, Oh, go ahead. Oh no. I was just going to say, and I, I can't remember, like it was two minutes ago with my intro. If I mentioned that you have a, a I, I think I left it out that you're a gen that you were a general manager of fitness facilities in the past. So sports and fitness has been a theme in your life since very early on to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, uh, Grew up around athletes. Uh, I have a huge family. My mother is the baby of 14. Holy so I cow. Ha I have 45 plus first cousins on my mother's <laughs> side. That's just the first cousin. So that's not, you know, second, third, or any, including my dad's side. Oh my gosh. So so who's in charge of like getting everyone together? Like that's a task. That's hurting cats right there. It is. Uh, currently, it's my younger sister. She's like oh, in charge awesome. of, of everything. <laughs> So, awesome. uh, yeah, she, she kind of is responsible a lot of times for getting the family together, planning events and, and stuff like that. But yeah, growing up, um, just a huge family full of athletes. Um, and a lot of times for certain holidays, everyone would come to my parents' house. My parents have one of the bigger houses. And so, um, we would host and I, a lot of times, uh, before I really got into video games, I had toys, just, you know, regular GI Joe's yeah, sure. and stuff like that. Oh, and yeah. I would hide them because <laughs> I, I had cousins that were destructive and I'm like, you know what? No, I just got this. You're not going to break it. Oh my gosh. That's great. I can just see it now. Like you've got like your hiding spots for all your favorite, you know, I would do that oh, yeah. too, man. I mean, I had all, <laughs> we had all my brother and I, we had all the star Wars stuff. We had all the transformers, the GI Joe stuff. And then like somehow it all got like sold off when we were like, you know, turning into teenagers and like, you know, at 47 now we're the same age. So like, you know, we're of that era. If I just had those things today in my office, like spread out, like oh, that would be so cool. But they're gone. Once they're gone. They're, they're gone forever. And now those things cost a fortune on eBay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because I've looked. <laughs> <laughs> so, so fast forward. So you um, so you joined the service. You, you um, joined the Air Force eventually. Yes. Yep. And, and spent, you said how many years doing uh, eight that? Eight years in yep. Nebraska. Yep. Eight years in all Nebraska, in Nebraska. The entire time. Okay. And, and then, and then, so your professional life after that, you went into to fitness after that as well? Um, yeah, actually I did. Yeah. I, I started uh, in the fitness industry right before I moved out here. I started working for a 24 hour fitness in Nebraska. Okay, and, cool. And um, when I moved out here, uh, a few months later, I just transferred to a 24 hour fitness out here. Okay. And so then cancer. So, so when did cancer first come into your, your radar, you know, as an individual? So, um, the first time was in 2010. Um, my, my mother's oldest sister, uh, passed away, um, from lung cancer. Um, and unfortunately it wasn't really a shock to any of us because she, she smoked cigarettes for sure. so long. Yeah. Um, but um, and then um, uh, uncle, I had an uncle that passed away from cancer in 2014 on my biological father's side. Um, and but that when when my stepdad um, and I have to specify because a lot of people know my story. And so I have to specify between biological father and stepdad. Gotcha. Um, but uh, my dad, most of the time when I say my dad, most of the time I'm talking about my stepdad. 
Got he it. was uh, diagnosed in 2017 um, uh, at 59 years old and it with prostate cancer. And so yes. it, it, it threw us all off. Um, I, you know, spent several years in the health and wellness space and had no clue what prostate cancer was. Um, and so my entire family's in North Carolina. I'm out here. So I immediately just started researching, trying to figure out things. Uh, fortunately, his, his doctors were really cool. They let my parents uh, FaceTime uh, with me while they were in the doctor's office. Oh, a lot wow. Of times. Yeah. And so uh, you got so involved, involved oh, in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Right from the beginning. Um, and that's how I stumbled across zero. Um, when when yeah. I started looking uh, for prostate cancer information, zero uh, prostate cancer was the first place that came up. Their website was really easy. Uh, so I just started sending reading information myself, sending it to uh, to him and my family. And uh, so I initially just started using them as a resource. And and what was your dad's um, frame of mind then in terms of about like sharing about his disease or being open about it? I mean, what what was his approach on that? Uh, initially, just to kind of keep it between us, but between the family um, for, for a while. And I get it, you know, especially considering uh, the dynamics of prostate cancer and from the 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 male uh, standpoint, I, I yeah. get it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but now, knowing what I know now in regards to <laughs> early detection, I encourage everyone, like, I know it's difficult, but you got to talk about it. Yeah, and so he, he clearly leaned on you um, during mm -hmm. that process. Yes. And, and did he have a successful course of treatment? So, so now it's like seven, seven years or so, right. Since he was diagnosed and he's still with us. It is coming up on seven years. Yes. And he's doing well. Um, he, yeah, he, he's, uh, it was slow growing. Awesome. And so, um, you know, he, he didn't, um, he was looking at the robotic, uh, surgery and then like uh, a couple of different procedures, but, um, yeah, he's, he's doing really good with it. And, um, uh, so, when I started, when I got involved with Zero, fast forward to yeah, um, a real quick story how I kind of got involved with them. Absolutely, um, you know, I'm using them as a resource initially, and then my friends and I were talking about running, and uh, I hadn't run since the military, like on as far as running on purpose, <laughs> uh, like I because I, I played semi pro football till I was 30, but you know, there's no distance running; it's, it's just sprints and you know all of that. Sure. And uh, my friends told me I should start with a 5K. And I started thinking to myself, well, a lot of nonprofits have 5Ks. Let me see if this prostate cancer organization has one. And I looked and they did. And it was the following week. And, and uh... I was like, no, not doing that. Uh, <laughs> so it was the one in Long Beach. And so I, I kept looking on the website and they had one in San Diego. So I signed up for the one in San Diego, started fundraising, started training. Um, and I stopped my fundraising uh, a little bit before because that was the same year those big hurricanes hit. I think one of them was Maria. And mm -hmm. so, like, I told everyone, if they were planning to donate, just donate to the hurricane relief. Um, oh, ran wow. the 5K. Yeah. Well, I signed up. They asked about a summit that they had in Washington, D.C. I was like, sure, I'll be interested to hear about it. Um, and ran the 5K, was exhausted, left immediately because I was hungry and tired didn't realize that I was one of the top fundraisers. Uh, they had a trophy for me and, <laughs> and all kind of stuff. And so they reached out to me like, hey, where did you go? And I was like, I went home. I was hungry and tired. 
And so they laughed and, you know, told me, asked, you know, where to send a trophy. But they also mentioned the summit again. I said, yeah, I'm interested to hear more about it. And then they had their manager of uh, government relations contact me. And they said, you know, the summit is basically where we all go to Capitol Hill. We have specific legislative ask that we have for Congress. And as usually, you know, constituents, um, patients, um, uh, just additional advocates, family members, and things like that, because of where you live, if you want to go, we will pay for it. Because awesome. my my old district, because I just I just moved to Rancho in August of last year. Okay. I used to live in a smaller city called um, Lake Elsinore. But in that district is Congressman Ken Calvert. And so he's either the ranking member or the chair of the committee that determines the const- uh, the prostate cancer research uh, fund. Oh, wow. And so, so yeah, I, I was like, okay, yes, a free trip to D.C. Three of my best friends still live there. I get to do something cancer-related. You can't beat that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, but then once I got there, um, that's when the numbers really, you know, hit me. Because at the time, it was one in nine uh, men would develop prostate cancer. Now it's one in eight, just right alongside with breast cancer. Yep. Um, so one in eight men are going to develop prostate cancer. One in six black men will develop prostate cancers. And one in five veterans will develop prostate cancer. Wow. So as a black veteran with a big mouth, I knew that I needed to get more involved. And so that's when like the light switch turned on and I just became like a super advocate. It's amazing. Like, you know, lots of people have a dad go through prostate cancer, but very few kind of get switched on like you did. It was like activated your superpowers as an advocate and you were right. just like <laughs> off and running, um, you know, and clearly you are incredibly bright um you have a lot of charisma like you're articulate like i'm sure that zero was also looking being like this is the guy we need that can go to capitol hill with us and help you know make waves and so you did you feel like um yeah i guess like get tell us a little more about like the heart and the feelings behind it like that it was it sounds like a calling in in many ways right yeah it absolutely is uh i've always known that my calling for lack of a better word was was to help people um, so everything I did, I, I kind of looked at it as an act of service. So even in the fitness industry, I was helping people get in shape. Yes. Um, and like I did some sales, like some advertising sales, uh, uh, as well, like kind of part-time and you know, I felt that I was helping companies to reach their customers. So everything I do, I, I feel like is, is, is an act of service. And, um, so yeah, with the advocacy part, I, I, I know my talents. Like I said, I have a big mouth. And I can uh, get my point across typically pretty well. Uh, I don't have a fear of speaking to anyone. And so even when we would go to Capitol Hill, um, we would go in groups. Like if we were talking to a senator, it was everybody from California. But if we were talking to a congressman, it was usually a constituent of that district plus like a few others. And I was always somewhat the leader uh, because I would kind of let everyone else speak first. I, well, I would set the agenda, let everyone speak, tell their story. Because yeah. uh, my, like I said, my dad is doing great. And so unfortunately, some people have lost uh, loved ones. Yeah. And so like I would let them talk first. And then when I had the the, the congressman uh, or congresswoman or their staffer's attention, then I would go in for the close. Like, okay, now that I have your attention, I need an additional 10 million in the prostate cancer research fund. I need two more million in the CDC for education and research. 
you know, so I would just kind of go in and, and, <laughs> and make the ask. Yeah. Um, you know, a couple, I've had conversations, great conversations with a couple of our men of color who are part of the man up to cancer movement. Um, and, and some of them will talk to me about, um, stigma, um, you know, especially in the, in the black community and around, um, some families wanting to just keep that in the family. You don't talk about your cancer. You don't talk about your relative's cancer out there. Like, um, is that something that you see changing? Is that something that you're a part of? Like, talk to me about those dynamics. And also just being a, an advocate who's a man of color out there, there isn't as much ref- representation as there needs to be, or there should be, you know? So can you talk a little bit about those issues? Absolutely. So I'll start with that part. Um, as an advocate, I noticed that, um, all the advocates were like, I was one of the only male advocates that was not a survivor. So every other advocate, you know, that I work with the men are survivors. It's a great point. (laughs) And then all the women were there for their husbands, brothers, you know, uh, fathers and all of that. And so like that struck me as weird. Like where are, are the other non cancer having guys that are affected by this disease. I've been asking that question for a while now, Demetrius. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's something that definitely struck me. And I, and I, you know, kept trying to recruit more. And even now I'm still just constantly trying to recruit more, you know, male advocates. Um, yeah. But uh, it's definitely uh, something that's not talked about a lot in, in African-American families specifically. Um, because we, I don't know, we're, we're a, a, a resilient people, but uh, can also uh, be a little just closed off and deal with it. And, you know, which makes it worse because when you're keeping it all inside or maybe one, only one other person knows like that stress that you can't really let out, you know? And oh, so man. goosebumps um, on that comment. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's rough um, trying to change that and like, I, I try to get men to talk about it all the time. Like, I know it's a private issue, but, you know, it can help somebody else. You know, it can help your your sons, your grandsons, because if, you know, no one talks about it, then they don't know that they need to get tested earlier. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it starts right there in the family. It mm-hmm. really does. Um, and having those conversations like, oh, your grandfather had this or your grandmother had that, like, you know, so that people can can be proactive about their health. That's what we're talking about is like all of us needing to get proactive about our health, do the screening so that we're not reacting to, you know, a late stage disease. Um, but that's a great point about the families. And then just in the public sphere, um, you know, you're being a role model now, right? You know, you know, as a, especially as a black man of color, being an advocate out there, like have, has other, have other uh, men of color come and talk to you and said, thank you for speaking up and sharing and doing this work. Yes. Um, they, they have. And, uh, it's, it's interesting because people, you never really know who's watching or who's listening. And <laughs> I, I've been at, you know, some of the zero run walks when I was a volunteer. And then even once I b- uh, became a staff member in 2020, um, people will come up to me that only knew me because of Twitter, because I used to post a bunch of, um, you know, prostate cancer stuff on Twitter and, and Facebook. And so like, yeah, some people knew me because of social media. I had uh, someone from, I think it's a digital network or uh, uh, called Fox Soul. They reached out to oh, me yeah. mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago 
because they wanted to interview me. Like someone there had been watching, following my page and they wanted to interview me, but they thought I was a survivor. And I'm like, no, I'm not, but like, I can help you find someone. And so they were like, well, if we could find a um, minority uh, female who's lost like a husband or something, that would be great. And I'm like, I got the perfect person. And so yeah. like, I, I hit her up and she was like, oh, I'd definitely be honored to, you know, awesome. so like, I like being that, that connector. But uh, that's yeah, it's wonderful. It's, it's interesting to see, you know, when you see people uh, that, you know, listen to you and, and follow you and you don't really realize it. So it, you know, it's it's humbling, uh, but it also is motivating to 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 keep going because you don't know who's watching. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I hope we're in, I hope we really are transitioning to this era where there's open discussions about about cancer and we reduce the shame the stigma um we get beyond that because it does it helps whether it's family members or people in the public anyone when when people share their stories it's really not only is it empowering for the people who share it's it's helpful critical sometimes it saves lives um right you know i my i never my grandfather passed before i was born but he had cancer and in our family like from what i'm told now it was like no one was supposed to talk about it you know, like, no, there was, if you talk about it, you get shut down. So like wow. now, and now, you know, two generations later, here I am, you know, I've, I've made this, my work really is to really share about what I'm going through, share uh, not just about colorectal cancer and screening and the importance of, of, um, being proactive about your health, but all of it really. So, um, I'm encouraged by what I see. And I think, you know, it's good to be part of this generation where you're seeing that change. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the thing, you know, even though there is some change, we still have to be our own advocate. Um, you well know, said. Yeah. for, for prostate cancer, uh, you know, you're supposed to get for, for men of color, for veterans and for, uh, men with in, in their family history, you need to yes. start at, uh, you know, 40. Okay. And I, when my dad was diagnosed, I think I was 41. And so I immediately got my PSA checked. And then the next year I called uh, right before my physical to make sure that they included my PSA. And initially she said, no. And then I was like, why not? I did it last year. So she puts me on hold, comes back um, and was like, okay, no, we got it taken care of. I was like, what was the problem? And she said that, well, we aren't supposed to start testing until you're a 40. And uh, because for, for, for your listeners, who don't know me, I look a little younger than I am. <laughs> yeah, and okay, so, yeah, that is, that's a fact. <laughs> and so she was like, we didn't know, or I didn't know that you were 40. So while that was flattering, I can't base, you know, I can't have my physical well-being based on what you think I look like. <laughs> and so, so that was the first incident. It's like uh, you're busting and, out, you're busting out your license or your, your birth certificate. <laughs> right. No, seriously, I'm really 41. <laughs> And so that was the first incident with the VA. And and typically, I'm not going to go on bashing the VA because I've typically had a lot of good experience with them. Good. But um, so similar with colon cancer, you you know, we want to start getting tested, I think, at 45 or so. Right. And so at 45, I asked for, you know, a screening and they gave me the take home test. And um, I did that, you know, like it's like some kind of tape home, take home, you know, you poop on the paper and. Yep. Like whatever. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and so then last year um, they did that again 
And I, it didn't sit well with me because I'm like, well, I think that particular screening might only catch it after the fact. Like you, if I'm not mistaken, it doesn't, you can't like find polyps. Polyps, exactly, yep. And so uh, they have a system, a message, a secure messaging system. And so I got back home and I said, hey, I've been talking it over with my family. I was like, I actually want a colonoscopy. Um, and Good for you, man. they were like, okay, you know, someone will call you to schedule it. And um, so, yeah, I got it done uh, this past uh, September. And, you know, wasn't bad. Uh, the only thing I didn't like is uh, I had to, like, not work out for, like, <laughs> like 48 hours. Or oh, something. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I, I was fine with the not eating part the day before because I, I regularly do, like, different types of fasting. So that wasn't an issue at all, not having food just not being able to exercise uh, because I'm, I'm pretty stubborn with my workouts. Uh, and yeah, like, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, we talked earlier, I've had kind of a cold for like the last two weeks and I decided to listen to my body and I missed almost two weeks from the gym just because I wanted to wait until it went away. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and, and it is, it's true. Like hopefully, you know, there's, there's many scientists out there working on, um, blood tests um, that can detect, you know, precancerous polyps even, you know, so hopefully the future is not so hopefully colonoscopy in the future will be like that second or third step, not the first. Unfortunately, it is the gold standard right now that we have for, you know, um, I've had friends who've just gone in and because of my story and had polyps removed and now they don't have to worry about it for five years. So, you know, it, it there is some, uh, you know, little discomfort, but I'm telling you what I can attest Going through that discomfort is nothing like going through the six years that I've gone through with colon cancer. So get I it done. And, and I love it when uh, celebrities or people with influencers, people with big reach, talk about doing their PSA test or talk about getting their colonoscopy. I just saw the other day that Deion Sanders uh, posted on his social media about getting his colonoscopy. And it's like, yes, like this is like normalizing it, right? When, when you can right. normalize it so that someone like that says, this is not a big deal. I've had, you know, I went through this couple polyps or whatever, or he was clear, but whatever, like that they're sharing about that is saying something to me, like, you know, that we're making some yeah. progress. So yeah. Ryan, um, Ryan Reynolds did it uh, Ryan, like, yeah, yep. a couple years ago. And before the infamous slap, uh, Will Smith did it. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> And put it on uh, YouTube as well. Yes, that's right. I remember that. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, um, so you were you were very involved with Zero for quite some time. Uh, eventually, now you've moved over to um, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Talk to us about that transition and then your interest in, in this new area that you're in. Yeah. So I made up in my mind around 2014 uh, that I wanted to work in nonprofit. Um, I, I was kind of done with the fitness industry and I'm like, I, I want my work to matter on a bigger scale. And so I initially applied with uh, the American Heart Association um, because heart disease is really rampant on my biological father's side. Um, yep. He he passed away at age 37 from a heart attack. And the life expectancy of the men on his side of the family mm. is around 58. And it's all because of heart disease. So my initial thought was to work somewhere where I have a personal connection and can tell my story. Sure. Um, 
And so um, I got really close and then they ended up hiring someone who used to work for them before. So from a business standpoint, it made sense because there's less training. This person was already familiar with the office. Boo, but I, I was should, have, should have hired Demetrius. <laughs> and so then I just kind of kept trying and I, I wasn't really getting anywhere. So I kind of put it on the back burner for a little bit. Um, and then the opportunity just presented itself in 2020 with zero. And uh, so, you know, I worked there for a couple of years and I kind of felt that it was it was time to move on to, you know, something different. And um, I initially applied with the Red Cross as well as LLS. Yeah. And um, interviewed, you know, was interviewing simultaneously. And um, the executive director at the time told me, she said, look, of, of LLS, she said, everyone here thinks you would be a great asset on the team. We're just in a bit of a transition right now with how we're structuring everything. So, um, Go ahead and take the job at the Red Cross, but do not be surprised when we call you in three to six months. So I was like, okay. Fair enough. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I take the job at the Red Cross. I'm doing doing well uh, until my manager leaves. And my manager was like the glue to our department. And I, hopefully no one from my team will hear this, but I don't like chaos. And once she left, it was nothing but chaos. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And shortly after that, uh, LLS reached out to me. It was like, hey, so are you still interested? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and, and, uh, and when, yeah, when was that when you took the job? Uh, so I started August, August 28th of uh, uh, last year, this, this past year. Yes. 2023. Okay, awesome. Uh -huh. uh, and um, yeah, it, I mean, it worked out. It's a small world. Because remember, I told you the manager of um, government relations and advocacy reached out from zero to initially get me involved. Yep. Yep. He is now the director of government relations at LLS. Oh, man. Matt Marks. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So tell Yeah. Give our view. Give our listeners um, just an overview about the work of LLS. Yeah. So uh, LLS is. You know, the, the, the biggest blood cancer uh, organization uh, pretty much in the world right now. And, you know, focus on the focus is research, um, patient support and patient advocacy. And so a lot of the research that uh, has gone on with blood cancer has helped create drugs for other cancers. And so that's one of the things that really drew me in was that it's so uh, integral to you know, helping out other cancers. Yeah. And so that, that's, yeah, that, that was the main thing that drew me in just because like, oh. I don't have a, a direct connection, a connection to blood cancer. Sure. But, um, I know that the research from LLS helps many other cancers. That's awesome. I mean, it's a great perspective and, uh, and they're lucky to have you. Um, thank you. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so pretty soon we're, you know, we like to, I'm going to get you on the gauntlet of random questions because nobody escapes here when they come to the man up to cancer <laughs> podcast. I, I have, right. some, I have some, would you rather questions today, but um, before we get there, maybe talk about um, looking at 2024. Um, you seem like a pretty goal oriented person. Like what are your priorities for this year? I guess, personally and professionally. So um, professionally, I, I, um, I'm in a program, a, a campaign called visionaries of the year and student visionaries of the year. And so uh, our Visionaries of the Year campaign is in a bit of a rebuild. 
Um, so I, I have a goal to not only surpass uh, last year's numbers, but uh, to also just kind of start the foundation to be right. able to rebuild back to where the, uh, the campaign once was. Um, and so that's re-engaging with the community. Um, and because like I said, there was a lot of transition. And so, sure. um, you know, there was nothing negative, but the position wasn't filled for a little bit. And so some people just kind of fell off and, you know, yep. to get people engaged, you gotta, you can't just use them for your campaign and then forget about, them. you know? And so my, my thing is to create year round touch points with that. So, you know, going into next year, basically, uh, you know, the campaign starts in uh, April, but ideally I want 75% of my candidates established by the end of the year. So next, next December, I will have seven or eight candidates in place. That's wonderful. I mean, like you said, from the patient perspective, like working with organizations or companies, it's all about those relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Patients want to feel cared for and held up by that organization, not just like, oh, I'm just here to, you know, be, you know, like you said, not used, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, oh, I'm going to be part of this campaign and then I'm never going to hear from them again. So I love that concept. Right. And then uh, personally, um, I, I'm on a goal to get down to what is a military approved weight. And it's difficult because for my height, I'm six feet. My weight is supposed to be 202. Okay. I don't know the last time I was 202. And most part of it is because I lift weights about six days a week. Yeah. I mean, muscle mass is heavy. <laughs> and so, um, so I have to limit my lifting. Um, and, uh, that's, that's been a challenge. Yeah, I can see that, <laughs> but, but I, but I am, I am getting down. I'm getting down. I'm still, I still have my strength. So even after the two week break, the first day back, it was ridiculous. I was laughing at how weak I was, but, uh, no. So yeah, my, my goal is to, is to get down to 202 and I might not stay. Like I, I want to get there, see how I feel, see if I like the way I look. If I don't, then I'm jumping right back up to 215, 220. Deal. Sounds good, man. Um, that's all good stuff. And, and yeah, with my like, I'm almost six four, and like I was heavier for years. Like I was up to almost two fifty, and um, I mean not too bad, too not too much. I carry a lot of muscle too. Um, yeah. But then with my surgeries and chemo and everything, it's like it's gone. You know, it's fluctuated anywhere between one ninety and two forty, and I'm all over the place. But one thing that's really helped me, like as a bigger person, is like keeping having that muscle mass and having that additional kind of bulk going into cancer stuff. Like it's actually a real advantage, um, you know, because you have a place to, you know, you have something to lose. Like if you're going through chemo, you're, you're most people that I know some gain, which is freaky. Uh, but most people that I know lose weight and surgeries, like I lost 25 pounds with my last surgery. Now I'm back up to, so right now I'm 225. I feel great. Yeah. I I'm exercising every day and I really feel like fitness is such an important part of the reason why I'm still here and managing my disease as a chronic illness. Well, number one is my biology. Like I'm just lucky. Um, but fitness is in the mix. Absolutely. And my team says that all the time. They're like, they can't keep me from walking like right after surgery. I'm like, when can I get up and walk? And they're like, we feel like this is a big reason why you're successful. So it's a good message to put out there, you know, to all the people in cancer land regardless. Yeah. And I don't, think people really understand 
how beneficial walking is. Walking is is like actually more beneficial than running. Yeah. But yeah, walking is the best exercise. <laughs> well, they, yeah. And fortunately, I have a dog, seven-year-old Grace, who harasses me daily into the walking. Like, I don't have a choice. Like, she is on <laughs> me. Like, let's go. All right, Demetrius Key, it is time to put you into the gauntlet of random questions. Are you right. prepared? No, but we'll, we'll go with it anyway. Good. I like to hear that. <laughs> would These are all would you rather. Would you rather have all traffic lights you approach be green or never have to stand in line again? All traffic lights being green. Okay. I can, What's I can deal with standing in line because I always have headphones. <laughs> so always. you're just you're just on every high any road the green light is just there for you all right yeah i'm, I'm good with that <laughs> deal all right that's an easy one then um would you rather always live 10 miles from where you were born or never be able to settle down in one place for more than a year so t- you're you're stuck 10 from you're stuck in a 10 mile radius from around you where you were born or you have to basically move every year move every year See new places. Yeah, seeing new places. And even though I like stability, um, just being 10 miles from where I was born, <laughs> there's not a lot around there. That uh, might be suffocating, and... yeah. <laughs> you know, all right. so He's that means ch- I see the same people all the time, hear the same stories all the time. And like, I know I tell my kids the same stories all the time, so I get on their nerves. <laughs> So yeah, no, it, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, oh, I didn't even ask you that. I'm sorry. I totally I blanked on that because we got into other stuff. But so uh-huh. do you, you have a family of your own? I do. I have three kids. Um, I have a 23-year-old son, a 20-year-old daughter, and an eight-year-old son. Okay, dude. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say now, which is every time you go out in public with your son or daughter, you're definitely considered their sibling. And you know that. Yeah. Yeah, especially with my oldest son. He looks like me. We have the same name. We're the same height. Uh, yeah, people uh, definitely think that we are brothers. I can't remember you. where we were. We were, I can't remember where we were. But one time, like, this lady was trying to figure out which one of us she, she wanted to hit on. She's <laughs> <laughs> probably right in between the two of you. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, hey, if your kids listen to this, shout out to you. Like, your dad's awesome. Um, last question. Would you rather have every shirt you ever wear be sort of itchy or only be able to use one ply toilet paper? Ooh. This is an impossible question. I saved it for last because it's the most diabolical. I would have to say the slightly itchy shirt. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm regular and you so... gotta have that TP. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll go with the slight, slight, because I do meditate. I meditate twice a day, so I figure I can mentally kind of make the itch go away a little bit. Love it. So yeah, and we'll go with the itchy shirts. And everyone knows that as a colorectal cancer survivor, I'm also going with the itchy shirts. Gotta have at least <laughs> right. that three or four ply. Oh man, Demetrius right. Key, this has been wonderful to get to know you. Um, I I think we could set up another show at some point because I think you have so much to offer. Um, there's tons of things we could talk about, but I just want to say thank you for joining us. Thank you for the work you do, making that commitment. I mean, that's a choice. Um, and, and we all in the patient community appreciate what you're doing. 
and shout out to LLS. You guys got a good one. Um, so thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the man up to cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.